0: From an Iraq war cover up to towns ravaged by opioids, to the roots of our modern immigration crisis, Embedded explores what's been sealed off and undisclosed. NPR's original investigative podcast reveals why these stories and the people behind them matter. Listen to the Embedded podcast only from NPR. Hi, my name is Brendan Slocum, and the title of my latest book is Symphony of Secrets.
1: In his own words, Brendan Slocum wants to be the Stephen King of the musical thriller genre, and he's well on his way. His newest book is titled Symphony of Secrets, and it follows a professor who uncovers the mystery of the origin of a fictional composer's biggest hits. It's full of action, deeply woven secrets, and confronts America's past and current problem with appropriation. I recently spoke with Brendan Slocum about the research that went into creating his characters and the influence music holds over his own life. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. I would love for you to give a brief description of the book for our listeners and also for me to know how much we're spoiling today.
0: Ooh, okay, great. (laughs) Uh, Symphony of Secrets is a story that takes place in two different timelines. One is in the present and one is in 1920s Jazz Age New York. In the past... Frederick Delaney is an up-and-coming composer. He's a so-so musician who meets a young lady named Josephine Reed, and their relationship will have ramifications throughout history. And in the present, Professor Bern Hendricks has been tasked with authenticating the long-lost score to the Frederick Delaney Opera Red, which has been hailed as one of the most anticipated pieces of art in history and during his authentication with his sidekick ebony washington burn discovers that delaney may not have written any of his music and the foundation that hired him will stop at nothing to keep that a secret
1: so i think i'm starting with this question because you started with this i (laughs) i listen and read simultaneously to the book and before i even got to chapter one you captured my attention with the dedication page In the audio, it is your voice that reads, this is for anyone whose voice was muted, for those who didn't have the chance to be heard, or for those who, like my brother Kevin, had their voices taken far too soon. Talk to me about Kevin.
0: Okay. Yeah, (laughs) Kevin was my, uh, he was my younger brother, and he passed away in 2021 from uh, brain cancer. And uh, he was, he he actually said to me, I want to be you when I grow up. And uh he was a phenomenal musician. I mean, I could not hold a candle to him. Uh, he was just a great, you know, he was he was he was a phenomenal musician and and um he was just taken away way too soon and, and the world was unable to experience um, his talent. and uh, I just wanted to pay tribute to him in this book by naming the main character after him and all the characteristics and personality traits of, Byrne Hendricks come from my brother Kevin Bernard Slocum, who is Kevin Bernard Hendricks.
1: Back to this story: Is there any historical truth to this plot? Because unfortunately, this scenario seems all too plausible.
0: You know, it's uh, it's 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 a little strange because that's a yes and no question. Um, yes, that is actually true because things like this do happen. Appropriation happens. You know, it, it, it's even happening today. There was recently a case with with Ed Sheeran and Marvin Gaye, you know, and, and things like this happen all the time and, and unfortunately have been happening throughout history. I wanted to highlight not only the appropriation aspect of the story, but the historical aspects as well. You know, things like this really did lead to publication laws being revamped and giving musicians and artists... Uh, their due credit. Uh, There's still a long way to go, but uh, yeah, the the historical significance of this is definitely real.
1: Since I was asking about plot, I want to ask, you know, you weave together two plot lines set in different time periods. Did you write them separately and weave them together or did you write them in the order that we read them?
0: Oh, geez, no, I definitely didn't write them in the order that they're being read. (laughs) Uh, I actually started with with Freddie and Josephine. I started with them. all of my stories are are character driven. You know, once I I come up with the character, the characters write the stories. And uh, I started with Freddie and Josephine, and I probably wrote five chapters with them. And then I went to Byrne and Ebony and wrote probably five or so chapters with them. And then I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's that's how I uh, kind of put that together.
1: You know, to that end, you were able to examine the horrors of, of white supremacy in two different timelines. And it's one thing to reflect upon an atrocity of the past, but it's quite another and quite disheartening when that plight is ongoing, isn't it?
0: It it is. Um, so that's one one reason I think stories like this are really important because it, it highlights things that people just are unaware of. And and even if they are aware, they just, you know, sometimes choose to you know, turn a blind eye. In, in the past, I think it's important that we understand and and relive some of these instances so that we never, ever, ever have to experience them again. Uh, and, and some of the instances in the story are, you know, quite uncomfortable to read. And I, I totally get it. And I've been asked, you know, why did you include this language? Why did you include this scenario? Because this is what really happened. And if people are not aware that, whoa, that's what it was like, you know, just just the horror that people had to, you know, as I was doing my research, just the fact that I would not have been able to walk into a building because of my skin color or go into a bathroom because of my skin. That is unfathomable, for, you know, for me today and for a lot of people, but that's how it was. And I think it's important to remind people we've come a long way and, and we still have a long way to go. And in the present, you know, I like to think it's more of the uh, just the evil corporation that we can all uh, relate to in one form or another. Um, The corporation itself maybe is not evil. It's just certain people. You know, I am a firm believer that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And people at the top who are so detached from us regular people, you know, it's, they, they have this sense of entitlement sometimes that, that it's it's hard to, to kind of separate yourself from. So, you know, I wanted to remind people that we're all in this together. We all have to do this together. We all have to live together. And, you know, the only way it's going to work is if we all work together. And you can't do that when someone's at the top, constantly stepping on everyone else because they feel like they're entitled.
1: In your author's note, you mentioned some neurodivergent individuals in your own life who showed you the range of skills and abilities these folks have, your character Josephine often thinks in colors and uses symbols to compose, as she calls it, the music she wants to hear. And I wonder, what was it like writing from Josephine's perspective? Did it take much trial and error, or did you consult someone with similar abilities?
0: I actually consulted a lot of people uh, for the neurodivergency. Well, it you know, For people living with autism, I really wanted to highlight a character like Josephine because you don't often, or I have not often read stories or or seen movies or television shows where people living with autism are portrayed positively. And in my experience, you know, my my nephew lives with autism. My best friend's brother lives with autism. One of my best friends who has played in, in a symphony with me, her son, Jake, Lives with autism, and I've watched him grow up. And you know, I I consulted with my friend Jen. She was the first person that I went to talk to when I told her I had this idea for this story. And uh, you know, I've taught students living with autism, and um, it's it's not uncommon. Well, it's rare for a female to be born with autism. So I really wanted to highlight aspects of people that people just had no idea about you know how could a person living with autism be so creative and and do so many things on their own and it's you know I just wanted to kind of dispel that myth and uh, a lot of consultation did go into uh, developing the character of Josephine and it was really interesting writing from her perspective you know I had to do a lot of I I took a lot of notes and lots of research on synesthesia and just autism and, you know, what happens when you get frustrated, what happens when your kid does this. And my own experience is when one of my students would get really, really frustrated or if I had to explain something a different way. So I was drawing upon personal experience and experience of people who, you know, were in the know, Um, but it was it was really it was fun to do.
1: Byrne is what he calls a a DF kid or Delaney Foundation kid, (laughs) which is a a fictional program that gifts instruments to middle schoolers who cannot afford them. And in return, Byrne feels indebted to the foundation for changing the course of his life, and and you even wrote on page 42, Byrne could never fully repay that debt. And when we spoke in 2022, you mentioned that you were involved in a similar program in your youth. Can you talk about the impact of these programs and how it impacted you as a musician?
0: I am going to say, and this is not hyperbole, public school music art programs saved my life. They save so many kids every year. Just people are unaware the impact that these programs have on people's lives. And it's again, it's not hyperbole to say we could be doing and I know for me I was doing things that were not beneficial to me at all or to other people or to society at all and because of these arts programs it took me to a place where I could actually become productive and I learned something I learned self-respect I learned discipline I learned hard work Um, I, I, I just learned so much because of these types of programs and you know these opportunities would not have been available to me were it not for these uh, music programs. And I just like burn am forever indebted and in doubt that I'll ever be able to, you know, I, the reason I'm sitting here today is because of a program like this. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity recently to see one of the teachers who started the program. And that was, you know, over 40 years ago. And she remembered me like it was yesterday. And I, I, I spent most of the time thanking her. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for saving people's lives, because it really does. It It changes and saves people's lives. And, you know, Byrne is an example of that. He's He's got a Ph.D. now because of the Delaney Foundation, because of the program that they instituted for him.
1: Now, this novel focuses on a series of operas called The Five Rings of Olympia. And you are a musician. As you were writing, did you have the sounds of these operas in your head, or I mean, do you know what they sound like?
0: In my head, I totally do. And I wish—see, this is where my brother would have been just amazing. He probably could have written these operas and written these pieces and these arias that that I, you know, I've, I've written the lyrics to. In my head, they're they're phenomenal. And you know, maybe one day I will actually try to write them, but um. It might be a bit much for me, but I think it's great actually not to be able to hear them personally because your imagination can just take you someplace that a pen and paper never could. So uh, people have often asked me, oh, is is this real? Is this a real piece? Can I go and look this up? Unfortunately, no, but just use your imagination and it's going to sound better than anything that I could write.
1: Also fictionalized, Frederick Delaney is Byrne's all-time favorite composer in real life. Do you have a favorite composer?
0: Do I have a favorite composer? Oh my gosh, yes. I have two, and it's very, very close. Uh, I am a huge Antonin Dvorak fan. He is one of my absolute favorites, and Antonio Vivaldi is my other favorite. But I think Dvorak um, beats Vivaldi slightly because I've got a huge portrait of uh, Dvorak hanging in my living room, so I get to see his face every day.
1: (laughs) Okay, now this is more of a curiosity than anything. Talk to me about how the composition and selling of sheet music worked in the early 1900s because this was a new concept to me.
0: Mm-hmm. This was it was it was new to me, too. It was really interesting. Um, so composers would write music and they would actually hand them off to publishers who would give them to what we called song pluggers. And um, these were people that played piano and they would go into department stores and they would actually play the music. They, there would be like maybe 20 25 pieces of music that they would have to play new compositions people would listen to them and say oh i want to buy this piece of music you know it wasn't like this was the precursor to uh record albums and cd's and all of that kind of stuff it was actually live music being played and these people had to be really talented either the compositions were really really easy or the players were really really good and imagine having to plug you know 10 new songs a day that people came up with the talent that it would take to have to be able to do, you know, learn this music and play it well enough to actually get someone to want to buy it. And, you know, if you didn't play it well, they wouldn't buy it and you didn't get paid. And, you know, so it was really, really fascinating. And this was pre technology of a phonograph. So the phonograph was the, the, the next big technological advance. And I just found it fascinating that these people were this talented, that this is how they made their livings. It was great.
1: I want to ask about how you decide to name characters because Byrne is named after (laughs) your brother. And, you know, early on in the book, we recognized a name that looked a lot like your publicist. (laughs) How, How do you decide? How do you determine who, you know, who gets what name?
0: Well, okay, so I was given really, well, I'm going to say, that don't don't be surprised if you see your name popping up in a book sometime <laughs> soon. <laughs> um, just don't I, make me
1: evil, okay? Got <laughs> it, got it,
0: got it. That's everybody's request. Just don't make me evil. Okay, just maybe, don't make, okay me evil.
1: make me evil. I'm fine with that.
0: <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, um, you'll be memorable. How about that? Um, I like to incorporate, I was given really good advice, write what you know, and from my life experiences. All of the characters that I've come across have personality traits of people that that I know and you know. Everyone knows these people. So I, I just like to incorporate what I know and, and you know, like the, the family scene um, where Burn and Ebony go down to Oxford, North Carolina. Every aunt and, and grandmother in that room, that is my entire family. That is my entire family. So I, I love to incorporate personalities and names of people that I know it just makes it more real for me. And, and I'm using that my life experience. And uh, I, I've been told that you know that's the best way to to come across authentically by using your own life experiences. That's why I will always incorporate people's names that I know. So look for yours, Beth.
1: <laughs> Since we're on North Carolina. Okay, so you should know, yes, this, this interview, um, this is part of Marginalia, the podcast. Symphony of Secrets is also our June Literary Feast selection. So our public radio book club here at the station will be discussing this um, in, I think, June 21st. Our book reviewer has already reviewed this and it has aired, Suzanne Perez. And Suzanne asked me to ask you, she went to high school in Fayetteville, North Carolina. She wants to know which high school you attended.
0: (laughs) I went to E.E. E. Smith High School.
1: Okay. She went to 71st. Does that make 71st? sense? 71st. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, of
0: course. Yeah. They, they had a really good football team, I remember.
1: <laughs> okay, so we spoke last fall about The Violin Conspiracy. And not that it ever left the spotlight, but it was pulled back into focus through the Tournament of Books. And I imagine you were up to your elbows with the publication of this book. Do you feel like you had to juggle attention? You know, I, I feel like it's like maybe juggling with the attention you would pay to a child. Do you, did you have to juggle attention you would give to each of these creations?
0: Yes, in a sense, I really did because I would do an interview or go to do a book talk, and sometimes I didn't know which book I was <laughs> talking about and. I would have to you know, reread my itinerary, or I, I would literally ask the interviewer, no, which book are we talking about? And uh, sometimes uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to discuss both books at, at, at a talk. But yeah, I'm pleasantly, pleasantly surprised that um, The Violin Conspiracy is, is still gaining traction, uh, believe it or not. I've actually uh, been requested to do an interview through February of 2024 for The Violin Conspiracy. And it's just it's phenomenal and you know symphony of secrets is is really gaining some some traction and people ask me you know which which book do you like better had you asked me that a year ago that would have been an easy hands down oh of course Violin conspiracy that's you know that's that's part of me it will forever be a part of me and um when i read symphony of secrets i, I just i absolutely love the story i love the characters It's, you know, it's got Violin Conspiracy beat, in my opinion, by that much.
1: Well, to that end, I mean, when we spoke about Violin Conspiracy just last fall, you were probably, like I said, just really involved with Symphony of Secrets. So I can only imagine now that you're really involved with your next book. Is that right? I mean, do you have something (laughs) that we should expect? I mean, and we're forcing you, we're pulling you back to Symphony of Secrets, even though you want to move on, perhaps? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Uh, I like to think that there's never any moving on it's just, <laughs> let's, let's, let's all walk hand in hand together. It's all moving together. Um, yeah, I'm actually uh, starting my my next book in two weeks. I'm going to begin writing and, and I've got a concept already and it's been approved and my editor is like, yeah, go with it. And um, it's, uh, I'm going to be the Stephen King of <laughs> musical thrillers. That is my goal. You think Stephen King, you think horror with the exception of Stand By Me. Um, But I am going to totally, every one of my books is going to have some type of musical element to it. And my next one involves a cellist and witness protection.
1: (laughs) I can see you on Zoom, so I can see the double (laughs) thumbs up, but our listeners couldn't. So I'll just describe (laughs) that for you. Okay, so we've talked about a lot. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked?
0: Um, when do I get to meet you in person? When do I get to come out?
1: Come to Wichita. Watermark Books. Yes, absolutely. They, they host excellent events.
0: I'm done. I am so there. I'm there. <laughs> Watermark.
1: Watermark. Very good. Well, the book is Symphony of Secrets. Brendan Slocum, thank you so much for joining us again.
0: The pleasure is mine. It's nice to see you again, Beth.
1: Likewise. That was Brendan Slocum, author of the book Symphony of Secrets, which was published by Anchor. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.